Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Aronex podcast, the show that focuses on the transformation of the maritime and ocean space. I'm Craig Eason, Editorial Director of Fathom.World, where the stories we cover on the podcast will be found with additional detail. So, a quick plug, visit the Fathom.World website and subscribe to the newsletter if you've not already done so. And also look on your chosen podcast app and follow, like and subscribe this podcast and let me know what you think. Now, everyone around the world, whether involved in a maritime or ocean industry or not, will know that COP26, the 26th meeting of the Conference of Parties of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, will meet in Glasgow. And the expectations are high for nations to up their game and show more commitments to meet the temperature targets of the Paris Agreement. This commitment will be in the form of nationally determined contributions. Shipping, so far at least, does not factor in them. The goal of decarbonising international shipping is still being left to the representatives of the member states who attend the International Maritime Organization's environmental meetings. The IMO, of course, being another UN agency, just like the UNFCCC. However, that does not mean that there will be no place for shipping at COP26. In fact, shipping has been represented either by the IMO or industry players at earlier COP meetings, and Glasgow is no different. So now, let me introduce my guest for this episode, Catherine Palmer. Catherine is our industry's official climate champion. Her full-time role is actually at the UK-based classification society Lloyd's Register, but they, or rather the Lloyd's Register Foundation, has lent her out on secondment to the UN high-level champions team to be their shipping lead. So, hello Catherine, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, and I suppose my first question has got to be, what is your role, and what are you going to be trying to achieve when you go to Glasgow? Thank you very much, Craig. Um, Interesting questions to, to start off with, so I think I'll start with explaining what the role of the UN high-level climate champions team is. The role is running a, a campaign to mobilise non-state actor commitments. And the, this is the, the largest campaign that is going. There's about 4,500 members at the moment, and it's called the Race to Zero. And as I said, it focuses on non-state actor. Um, so that is businesses, organisations, cities, regions. And so it really focuses on, on those actors um, that also have a vital role to play in um, in achieving zero and and that's really the focus. So with that in mind, um, what is it that we'll be focusing on at COP26? It is about um, announcing those breakthroughs from the non-state actor part of, of the ecosystem. My role focuses on the shipping system and you know, I have counterparts that look at other system transformations that are needed in other um, industrial sectors, in cities and regions. Um, and so so there'll be a lot of activity um, from the champions team across the two weeks. And as you're aware, each um, the presidency has set out the themes for each day. Um, and so we have transport day on the 10th of November. So that covers um, all modes of transport. So um, my colleagues in in, um, road transport and aviation, 
and myself in Chipping will be showcasing and announcing the breakthroughs from the non-state actors that have been made towards achieving the race to zero. So we have set out in partnership with the Marrakesh Partnership, the Climate Action Pathways that are, are updated pretty much annually. And the Transport Climate Action Pathway sets out the system transformation that is needed for the different transport sectors. So, so for shipping, we look at five different change levers, that being technology and supply, demand, finance, policy, and civil society action. And we have set out 2030 breakthroughs for the shipping system. And that is, the breakthrough is a 5% zero emission fuels in international shipping and 15% zero emission fuels in domestic shipping by 2030. So as I said, our campaign then focuses on achieving these 2030 breakthrough targets, which then set shipping on course for zero by 2050. So Transport Day will be a very busy day where we um, will aim to be announcing and launching some of the breakthrough actions and initiatives that the non-state actors have, have taken, um, been taking to work towards achieving this 2030 target. So, so that's really what we will focus on. And I think one of the main objectives that the shipping industry wants to get from COP26 is really focused on the increased ambition. So increased ambition, um, resilience, mobilised finance and system collaboration, you know, sort of operationalising effort to deliver system change are the main goals of COP26. And so when we look at those for shipping, it's really about getting increased ambition. So from member states um, at COP and hope and hope that that increased ambition from COP26 then plays out in the IMO negotiations, um, which pick up again at MEPC 77 um, a week later. So focus is increased ambition and resilience and making sure that there is recognition um, of a fair and just transition in that increased ambition. Uh, and then obviously we will be highlighting um, system collaboration and how we're operationalizing effort um, to achieve the 5% goal in 2030. There's a lot of work that's going on both within the United Nations, the UNFCCC um, on the NDCs and there's a lot of work at the, the IMO. How do you see the discussions that are going to happen at UNFCCC influencing what's going on at the IMO because I'm, I'm aware and it's a criticism I've, I've heard before and I can understand this what the, the, the states, the government, the member parties commit to at a COP meeting are sometimes not reflected by their delegations that go to one of the IMO's environmental committees. There seems to be sometimes a disconnect between what a country may say at a uh, UNFCCC meeting and what it may say at the IMO or in for aviation at ICAO. There seems to be a disconnect there. I think, like you said, many people might have noticed um, disconnects at that level. But I think if we look back to when the Paris Agreement was put together, we saw in the first IMO MEPC meeting following that, that spirit of collaboration and ambition and commitment from member states was brought 
into the IMO negotiation and the IMO platform. And therefore, you know, we got the initial greenhouse gas strategy at the IMO very quickly off the back of the Paris Agreement in the spirit of that ambition and collaboration from Paris. So I think, you know, this COP is about increased ambition. And I think that, you know, in the spirit of what has been what it will be achieved at, at COP26, I think many member states will be bringing that into into IMO. So so hopefully we can bridge any any gap that that might have started to to appear. Your your role um, over this period, because your your role as the climate champion for shipping isn't just for COP26. It's uh, you're not here just to go to Glasgow. It's it's a it's a it's a role that will will span a few months, a number of months. I'm aware also, and I didn't, I didn't know this until I, um, I looked into this, you're not the first person to be a shipping climate champion. It's a baton that you took over from somebody else. But you're the first one that I've come across that's got a much more kind of higher profile, has been um, appointed directly before one of the most important COP meetings and one of the most important IMO environmental meetings uh, that this industry or society has seen. So how do you see your role after COP? I think, as you as you said, I'm not the first shipping lead, um, and and I I won't be the last. And someone else will come in, and and take the um, I hand the baton over like the baton was given to me. And it's very much like I said, you know, built around our system transformation thinking and the action, the opportunity and action that is needed in these different change levers to to drive. Um, the, the sector to achieve the 2030 breakthrough target. So we're all working, you know, wherever the champion comes in, they're all working um, towards mobilising and the non-state actors to achieving these these targets. So that is set out in the climate action pathway. And I reckon, you know, and maybe, you know, the familiarity of that with the shipping sector um, could be, it probably needs to be be increased because if we can all unite around a shared plan of what needs to happen to achieve that you know we're all, all in this together and and therefore we're all working towards the same goal and I think that's what we've tried to put out with with the breakthrough targets with the climate action pathways with the the action table that is is needed setting out those milestones of what's needed you know by 2023 what's needed by 2025 what's needed by 2030 by the different actors so sort of saying so so it's clear what the actors need to do and by when and if we can all unite around this this plan then that really is you know if shipping can achieve five percent zero emission fuels by 2030 that is a significant breakthrough that will really set shipping on track and so my work as, as a champion, my, my predecessors and, and my successor is really going to be about mobilising action with these different actors to make these commitments and actions to deliver. So we're all working in the same, under, along the same lines, within the same framework and, and with the same plan. So it's very, um, I think one thing I, I would say that I've observed since coming in post is, has this climate action pathway and the system transformation that needed that is, need, is that landed within the sector and and I think that's why it's really important that we we land that and everyone unites around 
one master plan. Do, do you think there is more forward. unity around that yet? Are you, are you seeing that happen? I see a lot of discussion and a lot of almost arguments about owning the definition, even of decarbonisation and net zero and different fuels. Do you find that there is work going on to be more um, collaborative and working together? Or do you find there's still too much going on in terms of trying to claim some ground for oneself before we take the discussion further? I think as as with anything, you know, there are there was some terminology, you know, that that the sector needs to to coalesce around, like you said, that the to get a shared common understanding of, of terms like net zero or zero. What does that mean? And and so people are talking at a kind of consistent language. And I think there there might be some slight discrepancies amongst various groups, but I think, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of alignment across those groups as well. So I wouldn't I, I think there's much and I think there is is a significant amount of collaboration and and cooperation going on, whether that is is across value chains or whether that is public private collaboration and partnerships as well. So, so I think um, I think there's a lot happening, and I think there are you know sort of initial efforts are being made, and I think that set out in um, you know with the accompanying uh, report to the getting to zero coalition call to action sets out the commitments that the signatories to the call to action are, are making. We There's also evidence around the number of, of pilot projects um, that the shipping industry um, is engaged in and that's evident in the next gen portal that the IMO MPA launched and, and also again in the Getting to Zero Coalition mapping a pilot project. So I think there's a lot of this effort is is being undertaken. But now, you know, how do we share the learnings from these efforts? Um, and so everyone can benefit mm. from, well, that's been, that's from been the one individual of the things, effort that is being Yeah, taken. I know, because that's one of the things that I've, I've seen as, as well is there's a lot of uh, commercial entities that are involved in these projects. So they will have their commercial sensitivities at the forefront of their thinking. So IP rights and to have a commercial return on their investment in projects will be at the forefront of their minds. But do you think that naturally goes hand in hand with achieving the goals that you're trying to promote in terms of an industry sector-wide uh, decarbonisation or awareness of decarbonisation, particularly when you're talking about speeding up the process? I think what I would say is what I've seen lately is that a fair and just and equitable transition is becoming much more at the forefront and front and centre of shipping's dialogue around the transformation that's needed. As you probably mentioned in, in the past, you know, we very much focused on technology. So the dialogue has been very technocentric. And, and I think now the dialogue is becoming much more um, you know, it's not just focused on technology. You know, we're bringing in investment, we're bringing in civil society, we're bringing in the needs of um, the SIDS and, and LDCs. So, and I think that's where where the focus will be going forward is making sure that the dialogue, the just and fair and equitable transition, is front and centre of the dialogue and not an additional afterthought. And I think by bringing that in, this whole piece of we're doing this for for commercial advantage as you've just implied 
Mm. Do you think that will, that, that will that will disappear over a, over a while, or do you think it will be become a secondary? They will realise perhaps that there is the the commercial advantage of this collaborative approach. I think it's a. I think it's it's. I think it's secondary. I think it's. Um, and I wouldn't say that it, it it is the focus. You know, for anyone who businesses who want to be around in ten years' time, twenty years' time, that you know we need to be crystallizing ambition and turning that ambition into commitment and action but everyone is in this together and no one person can do this alone and so we need to to operationalize our efforts and we need to collaborate and and all come together and work in, in the same direction and then i think you know the business success is secondary and will happen i, I think I've where seen... we are in the stage of the transition at the moment you know if we you look at the shape of the curve and where are we we're very, very early on and so so really it is about about collaboration but that, that collaboration doesn't just um and it, you, you implied it earlier on in our interview it isn't just around collaboration within the shipping sector within the technology companies um looking for platforms to test new technologies it's about a collaborative kind of cross system approach and we've we've seen um work with the financing with the Poseidon principles we've seen the sea cargo charter we've seen how industry has uh, begun to connect with the aspects of the whole chain if you like and you, you mentioned it earlier on about you and other um climate champions um, within within other sectors is part of your job to create the awareness of the shipping sector with the other sectors, with the other champions that you have there to try and coalesce and speed up how they could be an engaging an engagement for positive change within uh, within the shipping sector. I'm here thinking because we've got the the, the, the cargo owners, we've got the, the freight owners who are beginning to take more interest in what they want in their transport chains. Do you think that we are likely to see that awareness putting increased pressure on the on the shipping sector? Yes, I think um, in the in the champions team, you know, we we all work together because there are those opportunities um, of of cross. Um, I don't know what, whether it's cross collaboration, cross fertilization of the activities and initiatives that are taking place in one sector can can help with another. So, so that is that that happens. Um, but but yes, you know, you're right that the interconnectedness of shipping as a sector with communities with cities with regions with countries with other industrial sectors that enables it to be a good um kind of first mover when you're looking at decarbonization of other sectors you know shipping is a good quality demand sector for um unlocking some of the green hydrogen opportunities you know i said um from a um, it, its connectedness with communities and, and workforces, both on shore and on land, it, it has that the opportunity to to look at green skills and and mm. uh, and upskilling and re reskilling in, in the maritime time workforce. So I think the connectedness of it um, of it of the sector just by its nature. Uh, that's why we talk about these different change levers. And, and they're across the whole value chain, whether they are supply of energy through to to end 
consumer of of shipping services. So there's all the all these different um, pressures that are, are being placed or increasingly going to be placed onto the shipping sector as well. But given the the pressure that is now on society, um, the the UN Secretary General recently said code red. And last week, he expressed a direct opinion at an international transport um, conference. He expressed an opinion that the the goals so far, the targets that are that the IMO and ICAO are going for, are not uh, aligned with the goals of the Paris Agreement. They're above three degrees warming, not uh, the less than one and a half degrees warming written into the the Paris Agreement. There was also a an event I listened to recently from one of the uh, transport and environment, one of the lobby groups that pushed the proposal that the Paris Agreement actually does not give the IMO and ICAO exclusively the right to or the job of decarbonising international shipping. And in fact, it's up to member states that they should be looking at um, shipping as part of their NDCs. Do you think that kind of pressure is going to be a positive pressure that will bring about increased activity, increase in the goals that the IMO is going to seek? Or do you think it's it's going to muddy the waters somewhat and that shipping should be left with the IMO, basically? I think it's it's not an either-or choice. It's between national, regional action and international. I think there's a combination of effort that is needed. And I said, if we if we look where we are today in shipping transition, you know, yes, we we need a clear, unambiguous target for the shipping sector. And I think that is what we want to achieve from COP around this increased ambition uh, and a clear, unambiguous target that is is given through the the IMO. And so that's, that then can set the direction of travel and provides a little bit more, provides that certainty for private sector and, and to mobilise its action, knowing that it's got clarity on the direction of, of travel. So we, first of all, we do need that unambiguous target um, and we do need effective and meaningful policy measures you know, in place. And but, but then at the same time, we also need to incentivize first movers and we do need to have large scale demonstration projects um, taking place. And, you know, action to get those might be incentivized nationally or, you know, sort of regionally or, you know, sort of bilaterally between two different countries. And so it's a combination of, of action that is needed some at the international level and some at the national level because also if we you know we get national commitment to decarbonize domestic shipping you know, again it's any learnings that can then be transferred to international shipping like i said we might have two countries come together to look at decarbonizing certain routes but as a first mover to 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 prove technology then we need that that action that can take place outside of the IMO so, so I think, you know, it's about putting together that combination of effort um, and not just relying on everything to be done at an international level from day one. Catherine Palmer, Shipping's appointed climate champion, talking to me about the expectations she has for COP26 and how it could influence the discussions at the IMO's MEPC, the Marine Environment Protection Committee. 
I'll hope to talk to her again, perhaps in the new year, after COP26 and MEPC 77, and I believe a well-earned rest on her part, hopefully to get her opinions of the decisions that have come from the policymakers in the meantime. Now, we've not heard from him for a while, but here's Nick Chubb from Thetius for his thoughts on the latest startup and technology news. Thanks, Craig. This week, we launched our latest State of Digital Transformation report, which focuses on the impact of the pandemic on the maritime technology sector. Some of the key findings from the report include that average daily data consumption per vessel increased from 3.4 gigabytes to 9.8 gigabytes between Jan 2020 and March 2021. 2021 also saw a post-pandemic bump in the adoption of digital technologies across the industry. We're forecasting that the sector will be three years ahead of pre-pandemic forecasts by the end of next year. Projecting ahead to 2030, the global maritime digital technology industry is now forecast to be worth $345 billion worldwide. In other news, Maersk Growth, the venture arm of the world's largest container carrier, has made an investment in Prometheus Fuels, a Silicon Valley-based startup that uses direct air capture technology to enable carbon-neutral fuels for shipping. Maritime intelligence platform Greywing has raised $2.5 million to continue its ambition to help ship owners and other members of the maritime community to make better critical decisions. Greywing's platform includes tools for crew change management, predictive reporting of potential risks like piracy and pandemic-related travel restriction updates. Alongside the raise, which included Y Combinator, Flexport, Signal Group and Motion Ventures as investors, Greywing announced the launch of a new solution that will help vessel operators to track carbon emissions created by crew changes. Finally this week, bunkering procurement startup Belugo and connectivity startup Frontem announced a new partnership. Under the agreement, existing customers of both companies will now have access to Belugo's online bunker fuel and lubricants platform on board the vessel. The plan aims to bring e-procurement directly to remote customers who are on the ship, simplifying the traditional marine fuel and lubricant sourcing process. Nick Chubb from Thetius ending this episode of the Aronox podcast. And remember, please subscribe and like this podcast. Let me know what you think. Visit the Fathom World website where you can read other stories on these topics as well as subscribe to our newsletter. And I'll be back soon with a new episode of the Aronox podcast in the next week or two. Until then, goodbye.